questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. I know you're lying. Now, I'm not referring to you, dear listener, but how many times have you mentally thought of those words when talking with someone? Is it just a gut feeling, intuition, or just a guess? When people have information they don't want to share, they will often be deceptive in their statements. Are there techniques used by professionals in order to detect deception? Yes, there are plenty. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at VeritasRadio.com. Subscribe so you can listen to all of our radio programs. And to discuss more about deception detection, tonight's special guest has written a few books, including Don't Be Deceived, the definitive book on detecting deception, and I Know You Are Lying, Detection Deception Through Statement Analysis. His name is Mark McClish, a retired deputy U.S. Marshal. For nine years, he taught interviewing techniques at the U.S. Marshal Service Training Academy. Based on his research, he developed the statement analysis technique for detecting deception. He currently gives seminars on his techniques throughout the United States. His website is statementanalysis.com, and he joins us from Charlotte, North Carolina. Hello, Mark, and welcome to Veritas, a place where we frown upon deception. How are you? I'm doing well. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but you hold the registered trademark for the term statement analysis. What does that really mean? Uh, Well, statement analysis is the process of a analyzing how a person phrases their statement in an effort to determine if they're being truthful or deceptive. And sometimes we can gain additional information by looking at how uh, the language that a person uses. Now, tell us more about your journey into deception detection. When you joined the U.S. Marshal, is that what you expected you were going to be doing? Well, I always had a goal, as I like to teach, of getting to our training academy. So, um, I spent nine years teaching at our training academy, and when I first got there, they asked me, well, what do you want to teach, and would you be willing to teach interviewing techniques? And I thought I was a pretty good interviewer, so I said yes. And in preparation to train our students, they sent me to some classes on uh, linguistic analysis. But the one that stood out to me was a, a course called SCAN. SCAN stands for Scientific Content Analysis. And Avignon Sapir had done some research and uh, taught the class, and I was just very impressed with how, with what he had to say and with what he discovered over the years. So for the next nine years, as I was teaching at our training academy, I decided to conduct my own research to verify some of the things that he was teaching us, but to see what else I could discover in, in terms of detecting deception. And that's what I've been doing uh, for 25 years now uh, with my research. Is Is the polygraph the go-to mechanism used in law enforcement today for deception detection, Mark? It is the go-to instrument uh, because it can, when administered properly, uh, be very accurate. As most of your listeners know, it's not admissible in court, but it gives the police, helps them eliminate suspects. But I've heard some people can actually beat the polygraph, and, and you know, in doing research before, while I was reading your book, I found that the first modern polygraph was invented in 1921. Is there a newer technology that could replace the polygraph in order to provide a, a more accurate deception detection modality? I don't know of any 
uh, machines that are better. I mean, they have a voice stress anal- analyzer, which detects uh, a person's voice. If it, the pitch goes up or down, it can help them to determine if they're being truthful or not. It, it's not as accurate, in my opinion, as, as a polygraph. Uh, the polygraph is the standard right now, but with uh, the, the statement analysis techniques, uh, it does a lot more than the polygraph because the polygraph is limited to yes or no questions. And while with using the statement analysis techniques, we can analyze yes or no questions, what type of answer a person gives, but we can also analyze a statement. You know, tell me what happened. Tell me what you did. Tell me what you saw. Whereas the polygraph uh, can't be used in those type of situations. Well, the polygraph measures, what is it, uh, breathing? What exactly does it measure and how accurate, percentage-wise, from 1 to 100, would you say it is? Well, it measures breathing, uh, pres- or perspiration, I believe the heart rate, and when it detects these subtle changes, it's an indication that, you know, the person perhaps uh, is a little on edge and maybe they didn't give a truthful answer. As far as accuracy, again, it depends on who's administering the test. It depends on the equipment they're using, if it's all properly calibrated. In my opinion, they're very accurate. You know, I'd put it, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the time they're going to they're gonna get it right. Now, you say that it's very difficult to be a good liar, but, you know, even though I've, uh, I have a good uh, BS, let's call it what it is, BS meter, in my experience in business, I've, I bump into so many people who lie for a living. They actually believe their lies. Is it either because most of the population is not trained to detect a liar, or do we just trust too much? Probably a combination of both. We're, we're definitely, I think in America, a trusting people and the trusting nation. Uh, but then we do come across people that are a little skeptical, so then we kind of raise our guard. Um, but the problem is we don't listen to what they're saying. And as you mentioned, I, I, I say, there's, I say we, we hear the term often that he's a very good liar, but I just say, no, there's just poor listeners. And there's no such thing as a good liar. And we know some people are better liars than others. But if you listen to what a person's saying, you'll, you'll really find out, well, they weren't lying. They were telling the truth. But they were probably qualifying their statement or they were withholding you know, certain information. But most of the time, especially with our politicians, every once in a while they'll tell an outright lie. But most of the time they just kind of stretch the truth a little bit. <laughs> That's Yes. I'm just thinking that some people who go through a polygraph test, they may be actually nervous. So even though they may be giving the right answer, the answer may be making them nervous. I, you probably have heard of the white robe, high blood pressure. Some people who go to the doctor and they're totally fine during the annual checkup. And all of a sudden, because they're being measured, their, their blood pressure, it spikes right there. And the doctor says, well, you need high blood pressure medication. Does this happen once in a while in, in polygraph testing or even when questioning? Uh, yeah, it can happen when taking a polygraph or, or just being questioned in general. Uh, some people, as you mentioned, that maybe they're afraid of the machine. Uh, in terms of just questioning somebody, uh, some people are afraid of law enforcement and think, you know, believe you're going to think I'm guilty even though I didn't do it. And so they, they get a little fidgety, and that's why the same thing applies with you know trying to read somebody's body language. It may be they're making certain movements, not because they're being deceptive, but they are a little bit on edge or um, think you're just going to assume that they uh, are guilty. And so it's something we do have to take in consideration. With a polygraph now, they will start off with some base questions that a person should be to answer truthfully, their name, their address. 
and that's try to establish that baseline and, and try to also, you know, get them at ease a little bit. They're asking easy questions. These are questions I know the answer to. And so you're trying to do your best to eliminate that to make the person very comfortable so that when you start asking more sensitive questions, if they didn't do it, they're going to give you a good response. And if they did do it, they maybe will show some indication of deception. I remember the movie, the Steven Spielberg movie, Minority Report, where they had the pre-crime unit. Now, technology-wise, I know somebody who's behind a company that it's, uh, I detect, basically it's, uh, and they call it the most accurate lie detector available because it's using the the, the eye, the the something with the eye and apparently has a 98.5% accuracy rate. If there's something like that, and they're using it, for example, with law enforcement in many countries, before they, you can even be employed by law enforcement agencies, you have to pass that test. Do you think in the future, our law enforcement, even you know, governments, politicians, may use this technology in order to have people even consider for a position or even elected for a position? Um, I, I kind of lost it a little bit, Mel, as far as your question. Um, but yeah, there are techniques um, in looking at the eyes that, that uh, can let us know if a person is being under some stress and therefore perhaps being deceptive. Um, it's very difficult to spot, but if, if you're talking about having a, a machine that can you know watch a person's eyes, then, then that's going to raise the accuracy of that. I don't know how much in terms of minority report. I mean, obviously, the minority report was they're going to predict the crime ahead of time, something we're not going to be able to do. But, yes, by observing these different nonverbal signals or eye movements, it's possible to determine if this is a, a deceptive type of person. Is this person always going to be truthful with us, or is he you know, going to show some indications of being a deceptive person? Let me repeat the last part of the question because I think it's interesting for the listeners. I was mentioning how this company uses the the technology with governments around the world, and they're using that with law enforcement. They're using it with politicians. And before some people can be employed by the different agencies or even politicians in different positions, unless they pass that test, they're not allowed do you think that technology would apply, would be applied here in the United States in the future in order to filter out deceivers? It, it's possible because we, we do that now in some areas uh, with the polygraph, especially in law enforcement. Not every law enforcement police department uh, gives their applicants a polygraph, but many do. And if you fail that polygraph, most likely you're not going to get hired. So I could see them taking it you know, one step further if the technology is there, and we can also, you know, um, by analyzing their, their eye movements to determine if they're, if they're being truthful or not, I could see that happening in the future. Now, let's dive into your books. I thought they were fascinating. It's a great go-to guide to detect deception. Let's talk about some of the verbal statements liars use. Give us some. Well, the first thing I tell people is that look at how a person phrases their statement. Listen to the specific words. Uh, uh, years ago, we had the uh, Nancy Kerrigan incident, when which figure skater Nancy Kerrigan was uh, struck with a metal police baton and knocked out of competition. And all eyes were on her rival skater, Tanya yeah. Harding. Did Tanya Harding have anything to do with this? Well, in one of her Tanya Harding's first statements, she said, I don't know for sure anything about what's going on at all. Well, the key words there, she said, I don't know for sure. 
She couldn't say, I don't know what's going on, because that would be a lie. So she qualified her statement by saying, I don't know for sure what's going on. She was telling the whole world, I know something. I just don't have all the details. But that went right over everybody's heads. But a good reporter listening would have asked her, well, tell me about the things you're not so sure of. Because two weeks later, she did come out with additional information. And so you want to listen to how people, you know, phrase their statements. In the case of uh, Casey Anthony, the Orlando, Florida mother, who said that she dropped her daughter off at the nanny's apartment and then 31 days later hadn't seen either one of them. In her written statement to the police, uh, she wrote that after dropping Kaylee off at tonight's apartment, I proceeded to head to my place of employment, Universal Studios Orlando. Well, the key word is she used the word I proceeded, which means she began an action, doesn't necessarily mean she completed that action, because it turned out that was all a lie. But had she said, you know, I went to my place of employment, that's a good definitive statement, but that would be an outright lie, so she kind of qualified her statement by using the word proceeded. And, you know, we pick up on that. We're, of course, we're going to check it out, but it gives us an indication that perhaps, you know, you didn't go to uh, Universal Studios or you don't work there, which turned out to be the case. So you just want to listen to, you know, what type of words a person uses, you know, in, in phrasing their statement. There's a, there's a lot of different ways people can qualify a statement, but the key is to remember that most people don't want to lie and most people will not lie. I mean, every once in a while, people do tell a lie, especially with specific questions. You know, did you do it? No. Well, maybe that's a lie. But when you ask a person an open-ended type of question, all right, tell me what happened, tell me what you did, uh, very rarely will a person tell a lie. So the statement itself is probably a truthful statement. It's just if a person uh, doesn't want to tell you something, then they're going to withhold information, use certain words to skip over parts of their statement, their story, or they'll qualify it. And so, you know, just got to carefully listen or look at how a person phrases their statement. So are those words like uh, Tonya Harding, I don't know for sure, that, that key there, for sure, or Casey Anthony saying, I proceeded to go to my workplace at Universal. Are those words like coming out of them, or are those words given to them by their defense attorneys in order for them not to, quote-unquote, lie well, most of the time, and it depends when the police get involved and if it's an initial statement, then obviously it's coming from the subject themselves. But you're right. Other times they get with their attorney. Their attorney will sometimes craft a statement for them. Uh, but the statement analysis techniques still work because, it, uh, again, people's words will betray them. And even sometimes I've seen statements where it's pretty obvious the attorney wrote it, but it still revealed deception because the attorney will always say their client's innocent, but deep down, most of the time, they know maybe that they did do it, but they're always going to support them, but yet it'll, it'll, their words will betray them, indicating that they maybe do believe their, their client is guilty, but yet even though they're trying to spin it and say they're, that they're innocent. But it's always better if we can get the statement you know, directly from somebody before they have a chance to uh, you know, talk to an attorney or spend a lot of time thinking about it. Bill Clinton, wasn't he also interviewed and, uh, about the use of drugs? And he said, I haven't broken any United States law, when in fact, you and I know what he was saying. Right. In that case, he, uh, uh, the question was, have you ever used illegal drugs? And he said, I've never broken the laws of my country. Now, there are technically three areas in that statement that indicate deception. Uh, the first one is, is he didn't answer the specific question. The question is, has he ever used illegal drugs? 
And he didn't say no. He just said, I've never broken the laws of my country. What I didn't, I didn't ask if he broke the laws of our country. So he didn't answer the specific question. Uh, the second one, as you pointed out, he said, uh, I've never broken the laws of my country. And finally, a reporter asked him if he ever broken the laws of another country. And that's when he admitted that while he was in England attending Oxford, he didn't inhale, whatever <laughs> it was, but he did experiment. Right, right, did inhale. But the other indication of deception in that answer is his use of the word never. And this is a big one. Um, the word never does not mean no. The word never means not ever. So you can't use the word never as a substitute for the word no. But deceptive people will often do that, and that's what Bill Clinton was doing. Instead of saying no, I've not used illegal drugs, he used the word never. And so it's you know it's, it's a word I call it. It's a unique word that I refer to. That there's several unique words I tell people you want to listen for, and one of them is the word never. No, help me. Like there's an employee. There was an employee that was uh, suspected of smoking marijuana on the job. And when they asked him, did you use any marijuana during work hours, he said, I never smoked any dope in the building. Well, again, he used the word never as a substitute for the word no. And he also qualified his statement by saying in the building versus turns out he was smoking dope in the parking lot. Now, to most people, the word never means no. Help me understand, when somebody's asked a question that requires a yes or no answer, and as you're saying, why is the word never unacceptable? Because it doesn't mean no. If you look it up, it means not ever. So now, if a person was asked, have you ever, technically they could say, I have never, I have not ever. So I tell people, interviewers, try not to use the word ever in your specific questions. Just take it out. Have you used illegal drugs versus have you ever used illegal drugs? But the word never um, doesn't mean no. So you can't substitute it for the, the word no, and this will show up a lot of times in deceptive statements. And this, this has to do more with specific questions than a statement itself. But I'll, you'll find a lot of times deceptive people will, you know, did you take the money? I never took the money, instead of saying no. I mean, the word never means, as I said, not ever, so that technically the person's talking about their entire lifetime. But I'm just talking about this particular incident. Have you done this? And the correct answer would be to say no. It's acceptable to say, no, I never did that. That's acceptable because as long as they say no, they've answered that specific question. Yeah, that brings me back to what was the name of the Gary Condit. Gary Condit, when he was interviewed, he was very, very direct in the answers that he gave, except for one question. Remember what it was? Um, did you say anything or do anything that could have caused her, which was Chandra Levy, to drop out of right. sight? Yes, and he said, uh, I believe it was... Uh, you know, Chandra and I never had a crossword. But all, as you point out, I think Connie Chung had asked him six questions, and five of them he answered directly. No, I did not. I didn't. But that one he couldn't answer directly. And so it tells us he's, he's withholding some information. Okay, so help me understand, Mark. When someone is asked a question that requires yes or no answer, why is the word never, which I think a lot of people assume that means no, but the word never is unacceptable. It's unacceptable because the word never means not ever. So when a person answers with the word never in lieu of the word no, they haven't answered that specific question. I mean, the word uh, never, because it means not ever, encompasses the person's entire lifetime. I have not ever done that, essentially. But with most specific questions, they're asking about this incident right here. Did you take the money? And so the correct answer would be, 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.